Well, welcome, everybody. It's great to see you guys this weekend. Um, hey, that, uh, that Discovery group, that Discovery Express, if you guys haven't done Discovery Group yet, I so encourage you to do it. Um, it'll, it'll help a ton feeling connected, uh, feeling like you like know your way around the church. It will kind of make you not, if you feel, if you feel new, you won't feel new after discovery. Like it'll, it'll feel like you really got your head around it. It's a great place to meet people. And if you watch online all the time, uh, encourage you maybe come in and take that step into discovery and connect directly with people. I'm I think you'll really, really love it. So just encourage you to take advantage of that and, and be a part of it. Um, there's also, I wanted to mention, in, in your uh, weekly, if you get your app out and uh, get your phone out, open up the Grace Church app, there's the weekly in there. Uh, that's where we kind of put in like announcements and things like that. There's a, a short survey in there that we would love for you to take, and it's a, it's a survey about relationships. So uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to just get a feel for how you feel, so to say. So you're single, uh, you're married, you're divorced, like it's all kind of in there. But we want to know how we can build classes and how we can build uh, groups that you would feel connected to. So we're trying to create resources that would serve you best. So it's going to take about three minutes to take that survey. Uh, and you can even take it during service. Just don't take it during the important parts of what I'm saying. Uh, but if you, uh, if you just want to take that real quick, if you're watching online, uh, just take it there on the app. And uh, that would give us some really, really valuable information about what's going on in your life. And I think we'll be able to serve you better. So uh, take advantage of that, okay? All right, we've been talking out of this passage in Matthew for a while there, and we've been talking about this idea of why we can't all be right, and we've been uh, looking at this teaching of Jesus. It's, one, it's his primary teaching, and it's something that uh, we titled it the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we did that because of where it, where it took place. So if you could kind of visualize that for a second, imagine a, a hillside that's kind of steep. Think of like almost like a natural amphitheater. And uh, just there on the hill that leads down to a lake, and Jesus is, is at the bottom, and he's talking up so that people can hear him. And that's why we call it Sermon on the Mount, because people are kind of sitting on this mount and listening to him. Uh, but what Jesus does during this sermon is he really lays down the kind of the foundational things of who he is, what he's like, and how he wants us to respond to him. So there's this mixed group of people, people with all kinds of backgrounds that are listening to this sermon, and a lot of lights are coming on, a lot of aha moments, a lot of stuff getting unplugged, a lot of stuff that's never, people never even considered before. And it's kind of this mixed audience, so to say, that are hearing this stuff for the, for the first time. So Jesus gives this sermon. I, we don't know how long it lasted, but say it was an hour or 90 minutes or something like that. It was recorded, and when we teach about it, we teach about it like in detail because the stuff is so important. So we've been talking about this since the spring. So if you wanted to listen to all of the, our teaching on it, you would go all the way back into the spring. But the people who heard it had just been there for a bit, you know, hearing about it. And where we're at on it right now is we're kind of at the end of it. And what's fascinating about the end of it is Jesus has done all this defining about what the, who he is, what the kingdom of God is, what it isn't. But the end of it, kind of knowing that there's this mixed audience, he tries to bring, 
I think, really strong clarity to how he wants us to hear it. So he knows that we're hearing it through our grids and we're hearing it through our religious backgrounds and our personal opinions, but he wants us to hear it kind of purely through his heart. So as he's wrapping up this sermon, he's kind of teaching us or kind of like making us aware of that. So we don't take his, his teachings and add it to like our teaching or add it to our opinion. He wants us to see it for what it really is. So to that end, uh, we've been looking at his words and they kind of start with this. He says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the great way to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few find it. And then he says, now beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is by the way they act. You can, uh, can you pick grapes from a thorn bush or figs from a thistle? A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. A bad tree cannot produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown in the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. And that's kind of as far as we've talked so far. So he's like, as you're downloading everything I've said about myself and about who God is and who God isn't, just remember... There's a narrow way, I am the way. And there's a narrow way, it's difficult, but I've called you to follow me. There's a highway that everybody's kind of good and religious and spiritual on, and that's going to lead away from me or lead to hell. And then he says, and be careful because there's false teachers that are going to tell you that the highway is the narrow way. And they're going to say things in my name. They're going to use the Bible. you got to be aware of them. Just look at their lives. And bad trees don't produce good fruit. So you can identify them by their lives. And that's the last two weekends. You can listen to that if you want. Jesus then goes on and he says what we're going to talk about this weekend. And I'll be honest with you. I've, I've struggled with this passage and how to teach it. Uh, this, this last week as I was getting ready to, to teach here this weekend um, because I realized this, this passage or the next thing Jesus says, what he says is very easy to teach. I'm not worried about teaching it. It's not that hard to teach. What I'm worried about or what I worry about is how it's heard. It's not hard to teach. I'm always worried about how it's heard because what Jesus is going to say next is pretty sobering and, and it's, it's very much, it's kind of a strong thing that he wants us to be aware of. It's a warning that he puts out. And what I've experienced over many years in ministry is that how we hear these kind of things, when Jesus gives a warning or he gives a clarity, how we hear it is usually preloaded in us. So how we hear God or how we filter what God says it's usually preloaded in our personalities, it's preloaded in our opinions, and it's preloaded in our religious experiences, especially if you grew up in church. I think if you grew up in church, sometimes you're at a disadvantage with, with hearing Jesus for who he really is. Because you've heard a sermon on a certain part of the Bible a thousand times, and the pastor had a tone of voice or had a point or drilled something that you heard and it kind of got in you, and now you hear the rest of what God says through that, that lens, okay? 
So I want us to, this weekend, as I'm, I'm going to share you, of course, what Jesus said, I want us to, to not work to understand it. I'll explain it to you. It won't take that long, and you'll get it. It's how I receive it that really, I think, is the work of this. And if I have a preconceived idea that God is harsh, this passage will reinforce it. If I have a preconceived idea that <clears throat> I should be insecure in my relationship with God, this passage will make you more insecure. If I have a preconceived idea that God is an unpleasable tyrant, he, it, this is going to be your proof verse for it, right? It's all the preloading. And we have to hear this in the context of God's heart and mind, and then in the context of what Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, okay? So this is what he says. There's a narrow way. There's false prophets. I want you on the narrow way. Watch out for them. And then he gets to the next statement. The very next thing he says is this. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of the Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who breaks God's law. Right? Really, really sobering passage. So Jesus is talking about this idea. He's like, guys, there's the Sermon on the Mount. This is who I am, what I'm like, what the kingdom of God is. Right? If you're not sure, go back and listen to Jeff's podcast. It's actually in the scripture it, right there. But like, it, you know, that's what we've been talking about. And then he says, he's summing that up, that there's a narrow way. It's difficult. It's following me. There's a highway, which is adding me onto what you already think, just being spiritual about it. There's false teachers, and then there's people who are going to self-deceive. So when Jesus says this, he's not looking and saying, watch out for another group of people. This one, he's kind of looking us in the eye and saying, there's these false teachers, and you're the biggest false teacher you know. And I want you to know that there's going to be people on the day of judgment that are on that highway, and they don't think they are. And they're going to be shocked that they are because they're going to look at me and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, I did these things. And I'm going to look at them and I'm going to say, I don't know you. I don't know who you are, right? So let me just show this to you for a little bit. So he, he looks and he says, not everybody's going to call out my name, Lord, Lord. Let me Bible nerd on you for two and a half minutes and this will help it make sense, okay? Lord, Lord, this, when we translate the Bible, we translate it from the Greek to the English. So when you look at that in Greek, there's a term in Greek that's used there specifically, and it's the word that the Romans would use for king or authority. So this isn't, Lord, I love you. This is, God, I recognize your authority, I recognize who you are. It's the same term that the Romans would use when they would say Caesar is God. It's the same word that they would use. So when Jesus says this, what he's saying is this. Some of you, not everybody who calls out to me God, God. Uh, not everybody who says to me Jesus, Jesus. Not everybody who says to me higher power, higher power. You recognizing that I am not you, 
you looking and saying, I believe in God. I believe there's a God. I believe in God. I believe in country. I believe there's a higher power. I believe there's a higher power. I believe that there's a God. I even believe that there's a God who created me. I don't, I don't buy into the whole Big Bang thing. I believe I was created. Like, you recognizing that there's a God, and even you recognizing that that God's name is Jesus. Yeah, I'm, I'm American. I, I believe in Jesus. I'm not Buddhist. I'm not Muslim. I'm not a Mormon. Like, I, I believe in Jesus, right? You recognizing that with your mind and saying it with your lips. There's many people who would say that. I'm in a religious camp, and it's the Jesus camp. There's some people who are going to recognize Jesus as a God and a king, and they're even going to do spiritual things. They're going to prophesy, they're going to cast out demons, they're going to do miracles. I recognize that there's a God, and that's why I pledge allegiance to the flag, and I do spiritual things. I recognize that there's a God, and that's why I am generous that is the power I call out to when I'm fighting for my sobriety. That is the tradition I am raised in. That is why I go to a Christian church and not a Hindu temple. And Jesus is saying, there's people that are going to say, Lord, Lord, and they're going to say, I did spiritual stuff at the day of judgment. So the Bible says that there's going to be a day of judgment where every human being is going to be brought before Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is God. And we're going to be brought before Jesus and the Apostle Paul says that our, our words, our deeds, our actions, and our motives are all going to be judged. You and I do not hold any secrets before God. And all of our life is going to be laid bare. Everything I ever did, everything I ever thought, every motive I ever had is going to be laid before God at a time of judgment. At that time of judgment, Jesus is the judge, and he's going to look, and in essence, he's not going to say these words, but in essence, he's going to say, why would I let you into heaven, right? Those aren't his words, but that's what he's in essence going to say. Why would I let you into heaven? And he says, many are going to say, because I said, God, God, Lord, Lord, higher power, higher power. Because I, I talked about God, I did good things in God's name, and I, I performed some good works in God's name. And Jesus is going to look at those people, and he's going to say, I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. And they are going to be surprised. They are going to, to not understand. Because Jesus is going to look and say, I wasn't asking you to recognize that I exist. I wasn't just asking you to do good things and do kind things or do correct things. Um, I, who I recognize... I recognize the people who actually do the will of my Father in heaven. Those are the people who will enter in. Right? Now, it's pretty sobering. It's, it's real sobering. So if I'm reading that, and I'm looking and I'm saying, hmm, that doesn't sound like real good news to me. 
I'm going to quickly start asking the question, um, if it's only those who do the will of the Father, I'm going to ask the question, so what's the will of the Father? And I want to know real quick, if it's not Lord, Lord, God, God, higher power, higher power, like what, what is the will of the Father? Well, the Bible says a couple of things about the will of the Father. Jesus in John chapter 6 says that the will of the Father is to believe in the Son. Uh, that, that part of what God wants from people is he wants us to believe that his Son, Jesus, is the Son of God and is the way. He's the narrow way that we need to follow. Another Thing or another place that God defines the will of the Father is actually in the book of Matthew, verse 22. If you come to grace a lot, you're going to recognize this real quick. A guy came up to Jesus and said, what's the will of the Father? What's the greatest commandment? Jesus answered it. He said, the will of the Father, or the greatest commandment, is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbors yourself. All the law, all the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus answers that question. He says, what the will of the Father is, is to know me and love me and to know him and love him. The will of the Father is for us to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And right here is where I have lost a lot of sleep this week thinking about having this conversation. Because right here is where our filter will taint what Jesus is saying, okay? Now, let me show you what I mean. If I took a survey real quick, if I did a show of hands, we don't have to do this, but if I did a show of hands, and I talked to people who made the point to come to church and hear an engaging, attractive pastor, but one who teaches the Bible nonetheless. So I talked to people who made a point to come to church and hear the Bible taught, or got online to sit and, and, and watch and hear the Bible taught, a Bible that's about Jesus. If I talked to people who made a point to sit down and learn about Jesus, and I took a survey and said, how many of you love Jesus? The vast majority of us would say, yeah, I love Jesus. Especially if I was like, how many loves Jesus and like not Buddha? Oh, I'm totally in the Jesus camp. How many of you, if you were looking for a God, would it be this God, this God, this God, or Jesus? You'd be like, ah, Jesus, Lord, Lord, Jesus. And if I looked at you and I said, um, how many of you love Jesus? Raise your hand. All or the vast majority of us would raise our hand and say, I love Jesus. Ready? This is right where I worry. Ready? You listening? Here it is. You listening? Stop watching the dishes and pay attention to me. Are, are you listening? Ready? If I said to you, prove it. Prove it. Prove to me that you love Jesus. Most of us would say, I don't really know what you mean. And if I said, I want evidence that you love Jesus, prove it, most of us, what we would do is we would start to compile a list. Let me, let me okay, prove it. I come to church. I, I quit smoking, drinking, chewing, date girls who do. I really love Jesus. I came to church when Michigan was playing. I, I came to, to repent. I, I, I came to church. I, I give money. I'm kind. 
I live a moralistic life. I stopped being a wild child and started being a good Christian boy. We would present a list. Here is the evidence that I love Jesus. I prophesied, I did miracles, and I cast out demons. It's my evidence that I love God. And God would look at that and say, I don't know that. I don't know that. I don't know you. Why are you handing me a list? Now, here's the thing about love that's, that's difficult. Love is something you cannot define and you cannot quantify, but you can recognize and experience. Love is something you cannot define, you cannot quantify, but you can recognize and you experience. It's a relationship. So we know when something is loving and we know when something is not. Right? If one of my kids came to me and they said to me, Dad, we don't feel loved by you. I don't feel loved by you. I feel distant from you. I don't feel loved by you. And if I said to them, hang on a minute, and I printed off an Excel spreadsheet of the budget and said, this is how much money I invest in you every month. Are they going to look and say, oh, (laughs) I must be loved by you. I cost a fortune. You cannot define it. You cannot quantify it. All you can do is recognize it and experience it. And if my kid looked at me and said, Dad, I don't feel loved by you, and I answered them with what I do, they would still not feel loved by me. In fact, they would probably feel more distant and more removed from me because I tried to prove my love. Now, this gets hard because Jesus says there's a wide way and there's a narrow way, and the narrow way is difficult, and I want you to go on the narrow way and watch out for people because they're going to call the wide way the narrow way, and those people are going to be among you. They're going to use God talk. They're going to say, Lord, Lord, Jesus, Jesus, higher power, higher power. They're going to transfer things over. Yeah, just be nice. Just give money. Just quit smoking, drinking, and chewing. Just get your act together. Just get, that's what Christians do. And Jesus is saying, watch out for those teachers. And now he's saying, like, and watch out for yourself because I don't recognize that or want it. That's not what it means to love me. Now, he helps us out with this because later on in the Bible, he gives us a description of the two things. And this is where we, it's, it's so hard to talk about this stuff because I can't give you five steps. But Jesus helps us to see it. Like we like know it when we see it. And so later on in the Bible, he tells a parable. And all a parable is is a story that he made up that has a point. That's a parable. It's a story with a point. And so he wants to make a point, and so he tells this parable later on in Luke chapter 18. And he says this, uh, to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told them this story with a point. 
He says, two men go into the temple to pray. One's a Pharisee, the other's a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I have. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And Jesus looks and says, I want you to recognize something. I want you to recognize something. I want you to look at the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee was a guy who had a list. And the Pharisee went before God with his list, and he presented his list. And when he was presenting this list, he rattles off the list. God, thank you that I'm not a robber, because everybody knows that if you rob, you go to hell. And thank you that I'm not an evildoer, because everybody knows if you're an evildoer, you go to hell. And thank you that I'm not an adulterer, because everybody knows that I'm adul- if adulterers go to hell. And that I'm really not this tax collector. This tax collector in this culture is not the IRS agent. This tax collector in this culture is the right-wing, hatred, hating, hateful, bigot, racist. He's the most despised and rejected person in the culture. And thank God I'm not that guy the guy on the internet, the guy on Twitter. Here's my list of things that I'm not, and here's the list of things that I do. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I have. I prophesy, I do miracles, and I cast out demons in your name. God, God. He's at the right temple, saying things to the right person that the temple represents, and saying the right things to the right person. And Jesus would look at us, if he was here this weekend, and he would say, that guy thinks he's on the narrow way. He thinks he's on the narrow way, but he's not. He gave me his list. I'm looking at his list. I didn't ask for your list. He's not on the narrow way, but he thinks he's on the narrow way. It's funny, this week as I was trying to get ready for this, I was running some of these ideas past our, our pastors. And, and the first time I ran this idea through, through them, I, w- I was kind of walking through this passage. I go, and see the Pharisee, the self-righteous jerk. Can you believe what a jerk a Pharisee is? And one of the guys called me out, and he goes, I- I'm not sure that he's a jerk. And I was like, first of all, don't talk back to me. Um, let's start there. But he goes, he goes, I don't think he's a jerk. I said, what are you thinking? He goes, um, he goes I think he was doing what he was taught to do. It's like, ah, it's a really good point. I don't think he walked in to be a jerk. I think he was raised to write a list. And I think he took great confidence in his list. And I think he was really secure in his salvation because of the quality of his list. And Jesus would have looked at him and said, I don't know you. I don't know you. Why? Well, that's not the will of my father. 
I said, well, my father, you don't know me and you don't love me. You've just produced a great list. Jesus then would go on maybe and say, you want to see a guy that does the will of the father? It's not the guy with the list. It's this guy. The tax collector stands off by himself. He's so broken, so humbled, so at the end of himself, he can't even look up to heaven. And he beats his chest. I'm, I, I'm, I'm unworthy. I'm unacceptable. My list is horrible. And he looks up to heaven and he says, God, have mercy on me. I'm just a sinner. And the tax collector, he don't got no list. All he has is a willingness to receive forgiveness and love from God. That's all he's got. I got nothing. I got, in fact, I got, I got more than nothing. I'm a tax collector. All I have is the ability to recognize my need for you. To receive mercy. I got nothing that would remotely earn mercy. To receive, I've, got, I've never done anything loving in my life for you. My list is blank. But would you have mercy on my soul? And I'll receive your love. And in response to you giving me your love, I will love you in return. And Jesus says, that's the guy. I recognize that guy. I recognize that broken, messed up, bent knee, broken heart, cry out to me guy because that guy is actually the guy who understands who I am. I don't want your list. I only want you. What do you offer a God who has everything? What do you offer a God who owns everything on planet on the planet? You you offer him hundred bucks, and that makes you right with God? Thousand bucks, million bucks, billion bucks? How, how, if that's on your list, what, what, could, what would it possibly mean to a God who's the owner of all things? What do you offer a God who is the author of truth, in fact, is truth himself? You talking about him? I prophesied? You mean you said the things I wrote down for you? What do you offer? What, what, what miracle do you bring before God, I did you a miracle? Woo! <laughs> Barely me in, I did a miracle. God's like, I did like a billion Tuesday morning. What list makes you worthy? And my fear is, and Jesus' point is, if you are taking security in the length and in your perceived quality 
I do all these things and I've gone to church a long time. I do all these things and I know the Bible really well. I do all these things and our marriage is intact. If you're taking your salvation, your salvation from the length and the quality of your list, Jesus is looking and saying, all that means to me is that you recognize that I'm God, which everybody's going to do. You did the things I say, which benefit everybody who does them. I don't know you. Because you never actually gave me your heart. You never actually yielded to me. I'm not actually a part of your life. You kind of recognize me with your lips, but you don't live your life for me. Now, I struggled with this because I was, I was trying to think all of this through, and I've, I've been, uh, I look young and healthy and dashing, strapping, actually, uh, but I've been pastoring for 30 years. That's why I wasn't worried about teaching this. I'm worried about how it's heard. I know how it's heard. And what happens in passages like this, oftentimes, when God calls us to clarify our salvation, the people who are the most responsive and the most tender-hearted toward making sure they love God and they don't present a list are usually the people that I'm least worried about having this backwards. So you hear a message like this and a lot of people walk away with a lot of insecurity and walk away with a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. And I'm really confident that that's not our Father's heart. It, it would crush me, crush me, if one of my kids wondered if I love them. That is not the heart of our Father. This is not Jesus saying, you know what, you better walk on eggshells. And if we receive what he says that way, what we'll do is we will double down on guilt, we'll double down on our insecurity, and we'll double down on our list trying to prove that we love God. And that's not the point at all. So if that's not his point, what's he trying to do? He just gave this whole teaching, Sermon on the Mount, about who he is and who he isn't. And then he boiled that teaching down. Guys, there's a wide way, there's a narrow way, and I, I'm the narrow way. I want you to follow me. To follow me, you have to love me. You have to love me. That's the will of the Father, to know me, to love me. Right? So Jesus is not trying to produce this insecurity but he's speaking to a mixed audience. So there are some people that he's like, I want you to know that your way is the highway, not the narrow way. There's other people that he would want us to be reassured, and, and then there's other people that he would want to clarify. So I was thinking about, I was trying to figure out how to land this. I was like, how can I land this conversation where my words are smooth and the last sentence I say is the title of the series and we laughed and we cried and we left celebrating God. I couldn't think of anything. I couldn't think of anything. So I think where we have to land is putting ourselves in the seat of this mixed audience. 
right? So, for some of us, for some of us, when you hear this passage, what Jesus wants you to do is he wants you to wonder if you're on the right path. He wants to press against your list. And he wants you to to look and say, if you think that your list is the key to you you entering my kingdom, I, I love you, but you're wrong. Even though you're pro Jesus and you do Bible stuff and you go to church and you've been religious and that's what you've been taught your whole life. You've been taught that you got baptized and you did communion and you, you say you confess your sins once a week and you show up at the church and, and when the budget's tight, you put some money at it. And Jesus would want to look at you and he would want to say, if you believe that anything you do or anything that you know is going to get you to heaven, you're wrong. The only path to heaven is a relationship with me. And, and if, if anywhere in your thinking, heaven is, God, look what I did, look what I gave, look what I know, here's my list. That, that's not what I'm looking for. It's only when it looks like the tax collector. I'm a broken sinner. Would you forgive me? Would you have mercy on me? I wanna accept your love and I wanna love you in return. And if your conversation about salvation has been a list and it's not been a relationship and love, Jesus would look and say, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to double click on that conversation. If I say to you, the will of God is to love his son and to love the father, and you say to me, Jeff, I don't even know what it means to love God, I would say to you, let's double click on that conversation. Because that's the will, that's, that's the point. I went to church my whole life and I never even discovered that the will of God was for me to love him until I was a junior in college. I literally started going to church in my mother's womb. Knew all the stories. Conformed to the life. But I didn't know anything about loving Jesus. I really didn't even know he loved me. And so Jesus would look and say, I love you, if that's what, remember the whole Sermon on the Mount, if that's how you're interpreting that, that is not what I'm talking about. So for some of us, Jesus would want us to double click on that, okay? Now, for others of us, when we think about our relationship with Jesus, we love Jesus and we've taken the position of the tax collector of receiving his mercy and his grace, but we struggle with this idea of filling out our list. And when you hear a sermon like this, what it produces in you is insecurity, guilt, and shame. So you're gonna hear a sermon like this 
and you're going to hear about the list, and you're going to love Jesus, but you're also, like, simultaneously, you're going to think, I've been really, really doing a bad job at my list. I used to serve. Uh, I used to teach. I, I used to show up for work. I used to help out all the time. And now, uh, you know, my, my, I have an elderly parent that I'm caring for, and I just can't get to church the way that I used to. And I, I just feel terrible, and God must be frustrated, and he must be. I used to be so involved, and I used to, I used to just pour my life into other people, but my health failed, and now it's really hard for me to get out of the house and, and, and with everything going on, and I, but I just feel so guilty. I should totally be doing that, and I'm just consuming. I used to give money. I mean, every time there was a financial campaign, which is like every other month at Grace Church, every time there's a financial campaign, we were in. But now I got kids in college, and the business changed. I don't have the same job. I can't give the way that I used to. I'm embarrassed about it. I feel guilty. Maybe I'm being selfish, and... And Jesus would look at you, ready? And he would look at you and he would say, guys, it was, it, was, it was never the list. It was never the list. And it's still not. It's still not the list. And those things you did, you did because you love me and you love people and it was motivated by love and that makes it all great and life changed and you can't do what you used to do and now you feel guilty and it was, it was never the list anyways. And Jesus would want to release us from guilt and shame. He want to remind us that life goes in seasons. Sometimes I can do things, other times I can't. And he would look and say, but just love me. Know me because it was never the list. You're confused by it. And then I think there's another group of people that Jesus would look at who think that they bounce on and off his list. I was really, really close to God, you know, but then our marriage, and so now I'm not. God's probably really... I was doing really, really well, but then I relapsed, you know, now, so God's probably, I was really, really, you know, devoted. I wasn't, you know, cheering for Michigan, but now I am, so God probably. I think Jesus would look at us and say, there's no loving father that thinks that way. My kids are... My kids, if my kids are struggling, I just want them to come home. I don't care what you did. Just come home. And you and your dad will work that through. And you feel like a failure? You're my kid. I just want you to come home. Just come home. And you and your dad... We'll, we'll just take that journey together. But you, you made up that about our relationship. That's never my heart. You think I'm done with you. You think I'm ashamed. You think I'm sick of it. That's not who, I just want you to come home. Just come home. And we'll deal with it. 
We'll deal with it. But I want you to deal with it with me. I think Jesus in this passage is saying that stuff. I don't want your list. Never did. Don't think it's getting you anywhere. If you think it is, we got to talk about this. But don't think it ever did. You're just a tax collector. And the quicker and the clearer you realize that, and call out for my mercy and grace. Now we're building the relationship, right? I recognize that. I don't have a place to land us, and I don't have three questions you should ask ourselves. I, I was thinking about this a lot. Like, I don't, I don't, I told you, I don't really know how to wrap it up. I think what I need to do I can point you toward a loving relationship with God and I can try to explain it. I can't even get words all the way around it. I can just send you down that path. I think you have to work this out with God. So I don't have like this great landing point. I I think what I have to do this weekend is I just have to turn you over to the Holy Spirit. And you need to spend time focused on Christ. So this is what I want us to do. I want us to be super still for a little bit. So I don't, I don't want us to stand up. I don't want us to celebrate and stuff like that yet. You'll know the right time. But I want us to be, I don't want you to get the kids. I don't want you to stir. I want, I just, I, I want us to be still for a moment because I really think you need to be with the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit does in part is he brings truth to the surface and he makes God's word come alive. So I want us to quietly be with God. The band's gonna come out now. There's two songs we're gonna sing. They're both beautiful and they have these really powerful words. And I want you to hear these words and I want you to think of them as a prayer, as a, as a way to focus. And I want us just to be with God for a minute. And I want you to take your list and put it before God. What you think of as a success, what you think of as a failure, what you think as a qualifier, what you think of as a disqualifier. And just let the Spirit of God show you. This is the highway, this is the narrow way, this is a false teaching, this is a true teaching and I want your heart, right? Jesus, in these still moments, would you help us? Would you engage with us, so to say? And Holy Spirit, would you minister to us? Would you take the words of the scripture and would you press them into our hearts? And would you help us to understand your heart in your mind in a clearer way would you reveal to us the reality of our hearts and would you show us and assure us of the depth of your love and would you help us to understand and to recognize how we love you in return